0: Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process.
1: Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred.
0: Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company based in upstate New York, committed to making the highest quality artist materials. From their acrylic paints, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors, Golden is making the best stuff out there for artists to make their best stuff. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Clinton King is an artist based out of Brooklyn. He received his MFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in Sculpture and his BFA from the Columbus College of Art and Design in Painting. He's shown at The Hole, Tiger Strikes Asteroid in Los Angeles, Stellen Holm Gallery, the Dorsky Foundation, Transmitter, George Lawson Gallery in San Francisco, Zyme Space in Yokohama, Japan, 1A Space Gallery in Hong Kong, and the Columbus Museum of Art, amongst many others. Clinton will have a residency in Tokyo this fall and will have two exhibitions following at Yokobo Art Space and Zempukuji Park stopped by for a talk about growing up in a coal miners family chicago art and music skateboarding in unkind environments scouring the archives at the art institute teaching english in japan and much more here's our conversation get up close and npr and you gotta npr Uh, the mic don't hip hop it don't don't put put your hand on it (laughs) I love when people say, don't pop yeah. the mic when they grab it. It's like, whoop, just feeds back immediately. And they're like, what's going on? When I get really emotional, I'm like, ah, i just grab a hold of it. <laughs> <Grab> <laughs> it. Feedback. Uh, but yeah, if you can stay close to the mic. Yeah, I think. I'll- Is this good? Yeah. Okay. So wait, drums? Drums. Where do you want to start? Drums? Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, where you grew up. grew up?
1: Yeah, I it's, it's basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because I don't think your CV or bio says where you're from. No, is that a secret? No, nobody would know it anyway. It's oh, it's a, that remote?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> Antarctica. No, 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 no. It's Ohio remote. Oh, so, yeah. I am from Ohio. Uh, a very, oh, I guess we're on a very, uh, a very small town called Coshocton, Ohio. Where? What's?
0: I mean, you are going to get the next question.
1: Where yeah, is it where close is to? Yeah. It's seventy-two miles. East of Columbus, southeast, Cuyahoga. Are you near that? Cuyahoga Falls, no, 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 not too far. Zanesville, Cambridge. It's Afghan the Afghan
0: Whigs? were they near you? Not, no, not that, that far. But I mean, in Ohio, standards. I'm trying to get, triangulate uh, this part of yeah, Ohio. Well, you know,
1: by guided by voice, no. <laughs> <laughs> near the new bomb Turks. Uh,
0: That's the, between guided by voices. <laughs> and the new bomb, and new bomb Turks is where yeah, I grew yeah.
1: up. 80, 80 miles, uh, yeah, north of Afghan uh, week. No, but yeah, small town, and I'm from I'm from like 10, 15 minutes outside of that small
0: town. So, so. the rural, rural, rural you know, dirt road. I grew, road, I grew road. up in Pennsylvania, we call it Pennsylvania. Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: we, we, we were kind of, you know, towards that little isthmus of uh, West Virginia there, you know, yeah. like getting near to that. So, if we could kind of cut across West Virginia for a second, end up in Pennsylvania real quick, or, you know.
0: Do you, st- oh yeah, it's so funny that yeah. we were mentioning politics. <laughs> yeah. Because Ohio is a, is a hot state. Hot state. Like hot Pennsylvania. State.
1: Well, you know, it's one of the states that, as you probably know, like Columbus, it's got the three C's, you know, and they do a lot of testing of, of things there. Yeah. You know, like food products, a lot of food products, <laughs> a lot of fashion, which right. is, come on. Weird. The Midwest is the worst place for fashion or the best for thrift stores.
0: It is good. Oh yeah. Yeah. that's very true yeah. <laughs> and some really like w- we had some in Pittsburgh that were so nice that they would color coordinate all the IZOD v-neck sweaters my grandma, that you could- <laughs> my grandma
1: ran a thrift store in my hometown like when i was like she was really old she was already re- past retirement age and she just decided to do it and she organized everything
0: was it mom and papa was it like a goodwill it was
1: it was literally a goodwill yeah and she like put everything in color and in order and they complained. They said, oh, people like to search. You oh, too yeah. It feels too curated. It feels
0: too curated. Yeah, this
1: is not goodwill style. <laughs> Grandma got fired. It's got to be like a dump,
0: <laughs> like large. It's got
1: to be shitty. <laughs> One thing you would ever find in Ohio is good furniture. Really rare. Yeah. Unless you get like Amish or something. But, I can you know, see that. Yeah, You got to go here. Right. Up New England. New England.
0: You some good stuff. stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. You're going to get some good stuff there. But yeah, so I'm from, I'm from this really small town in the middle of nowhere. It's a coal mining town. It used to be an old coal mining town. I came from coal miners. My grandpa was a coal miner. Uh, he grew up as a little kid in the coal mines. He recently passed away, and he told me the stories about how they'd go and cut it and how they'd put this jack in there, and they'd, you know these little sticks of dynamite, and they'd blow them up, and they'd go back in there and take them out. It's crazy. Yeah, he's brutal profession. Brutal. And I went down, I, I can remember being a little kid, like in the early, early 80s. Maybe, I mean, I, I was born in 75, so I don't think I was old enough to remember the late 70s, but yeah. early 80s, I remember I went to More, Murray City, which is like southern Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's where my whole family was originally from. And I could look down into the cave mines. They were still behind the shafts by my gran- my great grandpa. They still cooked with coal. Everything smelled like coal. They heated the house with coal. Everything was cool. And it's all they ever knew. And they just had a giant stack of it in the backyard of coal just sitting there.
0: It's crazy. My dad used to tell me a story. Like he smoked for a little while when I was younger. And, you know, we would say, like, I, you know as a kid i was always complaining like i don't want to smell the smoke you know what yeah now you like it he's like well <laughs> well yeah <laughs> now i'm up to three packs no and then he was he be like well you know your your grandfather never smoked a day in his life and he died of lung cancer <laughs> and at one point i found out and I was like, "Yeah, but Dad, he was a coal miner. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he died of black lung. Right, exactly. Like that doesn't hold water if you're no. in a coal mine no. all the time. It's I, a really rough profession.
1: Well, there's two. There's multiple sicknesses that you can get. And my grandpa had another one that's rarer. But the coal dust will get into the pores of your skin and then give you skin cancer. No, it doesn't give you skin cancer. It probably would have. Or just it blocks just, you. It, it like blocks your pores up and your face swells up. So he oh. had this like really. Big, like, swollen all nose. puffed up? Yeah, just, just all the years of the cold dust. But, yeah, so kind of from there, that kind of family. Very, very uh, lower class. Working class. Working class. Yeah, yeah. Lower working class. Blue collar. Very blue, black collar, I guess, if you're... Yeah, that. black collar. <laughs> no collar. <laughs> no collar. Did you
0: have uh, brothers and sisters?
1: Uh, yes. Um, I have two brothers and a sister. But uh, I was I was adopted by a guy when I was about, I don't know, four, five yeah. years old. So, like, my half-brothers, but they've always been there, you know. Uh, I, we moved. To, I can remember when we moved, when we moved to Coshocton. I, I must have been four or five. I mm-hmm. remember the trees being planted. That's all I can remember. And uh, yeah, so we lived. I lived out there in a trailer and off this dirt road, and then in the middle of the woods. Sounds like the Literally. perfect,
0: perfect place, like a breeding ground for a fine artists.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I tell you this story. It's true. I mean, I used to just run around in my underwear. Mm-hmm. You know, like no, no shirt, no pants on. I remember I, there was a tire swing. Someone built it in the woods, so mm-hmm. just right behind my house. And I went up there and I remember I saw another little boy out in the woods. I was like, Ooh, what's that? You know, <laughs> I ran out there and he was like, who are you? I was like, who are you? He goes, why aren't you wearing any clothes? <laughs> <laughs> was was he like, fully clothed what? kid. He was fully clothed. Yeah, yeah. And they took me back to another, like where they lived, you uh-huh. know, which is not too far away. Uh, Cause we just moved there. And I remember I got in the house and <laughs> the mom's like, who's this kid? And why has he got no clothes on?
0: <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's, Bar for the course. A, and then my mom's, you can't run
1: around with no clothes
0: on. Yeah, we didn't wear a lot of clothes as <laughs> kids. I mean, shorts, but, you know, run around the neighborhood. And, and I didn't grow up in, like, the country. Yeah. You know, we were. I was in the outskirts of Pittsburgh, where it's yeah. like one of those, like, small towns where it's, like, house after house, like, they're connected. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. We'd run around with, like, bare feet and no shirt on all the time. It's pretty. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's, I like, guess, what it used to be. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Yeah.
0: But, I guess it's true.
1: Living out there, you really get in touch with nature. My dad hunted; he mm-hmm. worked at a factory nearby. My mom worked to think there part time until the other kids were born. She was kind of on and off work, but um, uh, yeah, the seasons, the changes, the, the, all the animals, the guns, bow and arrow. I, I learned how to shoot a bow really young. When I was I learned how to shoot a gun, when I was really young, and um, sleds, and then I got a, you know bicycles, of course, and, and fishing. But then I got older, uh, I got my you know, first like pellet gun and, mm-hmm. and uh, a dirt bike. My dad bought me a dirt bike. Yeah. And all my other friends had four-wheelers and dirt bikes. So we just kind of ran around everywhere, fishing poles,
0: guns, just running around, and shooting. It's like and Americana.
1: It was totally... <laughs> I, you're looking at
0: it now. Wait, are we a similar generation? Huh? Are we a similar generation? I'm born in 1976. Okay, yeah. We're yeah. basically the same, same generation. Same uh, generation. Yeah, so just... It was really...
1: Yeah, fishing, guns, and camping, and it was right. pretty. wasn't hardcore forestry or anything. I'm not in Washington or anything. I'm deciduous, right. light. It's all the all the, the all the nature in that area of Ohio is like not their old nature because Peabody's this coal mining company went through there and just took all the coal. Oh like yeah, 50 clear years, cut the place. Fifty, sixty, maybe eighty years later. I, one of the first memories I had was of the largest. What do they call those Backhoe. Things? Largest backhoe, I guess. I a, Largest crane a, or something. A digger. We a used digger, to call one it. of those diggers, and it was still in use. And I remember I, I had to, go to I had to pee, and we were in a car, and they stopped the car, and I got out, and I could see it. And my dad said, that, that's the biggest crane in the world. And it, I think they retired it shortly after that. Oh, okay. really? I
0: thought you were going to say, "You can go take a piss in that digger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was far away, but I remember thinking, what is that? It was huge. 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 But um, uh, it's for coal mining, right? Yeah.
1: Well, there's still Columbus and Southern. All of Columbus's energy comes from. I think Columbus and Southern Ohio comes from one coal factory. Well, uh, has uh, right has, in my hometown?
0: Really? Yeah. Has there been like fracking going on there now? Yes. Yes. It's like the next wave, right? Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know. I, oil rigs came into our neighborhood. And I noticed that caused a problem with the water. Yeah. And some people, mostly sulfur and things like that were coming up, not, not like the stuff that you get in with, apparently, right. from fracking. Fracking. I don't know, I've never seen it. But um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Your backyard? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny,
1: that, that, that set of smokestacks, mm-hmm. I was on that subway train about three years ago, and there was like this green, you know, you know on the top of the, you know, all the, all the advertisement on the subway. Yeah. There was this advertisement about pollution. And they used a photograph of that factory in my hometown. No, you're like, oh, that's where I grew I up. I was like, I literally, my grade school was right under that.
0: Man, how much of a flip is that? That you grew up out there with all that green and out away from the city. And you go to New York City, yeah. which is one, you know, pollutions everywhere.
1: Oh, I mean, when I went to, when I went to Columbus. Yeah. I mean, my grandma, my, my grandpa dropped my grandma off the airport. And I saw the buildings of Columbus, like in the early 80s, right. nothing. And I thought that was New York City. I thought it was a record cover, oh, the yeah. Chicago record. Because <laughs> my mom had that. Right. I was like, oh, that's the big city yeah. over there. And then when I was like, 14, I snuck with a friend of mine. He had an older brother who drove us to Columbus. I was petrified. Yeah, it's so frightening. Like, what right? is this? Yeah. People everywhere and in the buildings. And I was very frightened. I thought I was going to get shot on TV or something. i was like i would get killed (laughs) that was
0: your experience of the city
1: yeah and then as i got older i moved to columbus and i was still never that comfortable
0: with it until i moved there for art school for undergrad did you did your um like growing up was a lot of music around
1: well my grandpa was a musician i was gonna say was someone playing at the local tavern or something yeah it's funny because my mom always said we're not rednecks we're hillbillies
0: there's a big difference. There is
1: a big difference. I said, what's the difference, mom? Well, grass. play music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bluegrass. Yeah, they, they can't peas. Right. Uh, green beans. Snaps. Uh, but, yeah. So music was around. Music was round. Uh, not a whole lot, to be honest with you. I could, I could take my... Oh, this is great. My bed was at the exact same height as my window as I was growing up. And the antenna to our, on top of our trailer was literally one foot from my head. <laughs> So I could take my my stereo, kind of scoot it out, and I figured a way to wire it, because I thought it could help me maybe pick yeah. up, and I could hear a little bit. Alien Zanesville, Zanesville, Zanesville and Columbus, I could yeah. pick them up a little bit, and I'd hear like real music, nice. you know, just, you know, top of the pops type stuff.
0: You Home, know. Homemade ham radio style.
1: Yeah. I also look up the stars, I could lay in there and look up at the stars. I've always been doing that So I was I've always been into that stars and nature. But... I could hear that. And that was my first introduction into something yeah, bigger. right? You know, Of course, there's always been TV, and that's going to be there. But we well, only got two channels.
0: Those are the TV. days of like, the local channels. Yeah, Wiz TV. And Rabbit Ears.
1: Yeah, Rabbit Ears, Wiz TV, TV on top of TV, dead TV. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: doily. So um, wh- what do you listen to music on? Did,
1: did your dad have a record player? Uh, no, they didn't listen to music. My parents did not listen to music.
0: But they, did they play it? No. My grandma and grandpa, grandpa. did. Oh, okay. Yeah. So but it he, skipped a generation. It skipped a generation.
1: Uh, my grandpa, he had like a golden voice, like like Roy Orbison. Nice. like that Kind of like that real... He was really good. I think he was just a little too conservative, and he himself didn't get out. I was told by my uncle that he had a, a pretty good chance. He was actually playing around. He had a band for most of his life, and he had a chance. Someone heard him, and they asked him to come to some city. I forget what city it was, to kind of come check out. Yeah. And the songs were a little too country, a little too gospel. Right. They, wanted, they wanted a more rock and roll sound. And Grandpa had a couple of those covers that he did, but he didn't do enough. And
0: Was that like in the 50s? Yeah, probably. So they're looking for a little hip-shaking. Probably. A little probably. More...
1: He, my grandpa, he knew, of course, he knew Elvis, but yeah. he wasn't. He was more like country, right? real
0: country. Like Hank Williams Sr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, Not Jr. He Sorry.
1: also was a little bit more Holly. I don't know what's the word. He was like a Western. He watched a lot of Westerns, so a little Western.
0: I mean, probably like Tennessee Earl Ford.
1: Yes, that kind of stuff. That's uh, good stuff. what my, my grandpa liked. He liked Conway Twitty and stuff when, when he was yeah. like, older. <laughs> that kind right, of stuff, right. too. But, uh, yeah, so there was kind of music, kind of art, but... Yeah, what's the art relationship when you are a kid? When I was a little kid, the first thing I ever did, that's not to go that far back, Scott, but I just had a spike. I found a spike mm-hmm. in my dad's garage, a headlamp, like one of those ones for hunting moon right. and yeah, a fox, yeah. and I had a hammer, and I just went out in the woods... I had this really weird compulsion to dig, to, to strike it into stone. Like, I probably saw it on, you know, it was in my mind I was going to be something.
0: Like a sculptor, like when you're a kid in yeah, school and you see to... that caveman with a wheel.
2: Yeah, with the, like...
1: yeah, I want to be that guy. <laughs> uh, no, I just went out there at night and I just started
2: tapping, di- tapping
1: a hole in this boulder behind my house. And I remember this th- feeling that came over me. Like, it felt like...
0: creative, like you're creating something.
1: Yeah, like, uh, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like, you know, that got the mashed potatoes. Oh. It, it felt like it meant something. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. I'm like Richard Dreyfus, uh, Burnt <laughs> by UFO rays. Right. And I'm digging a hole, and I just... I'm, and then I, the next time I had that sensation, it was, it was not too long after that. I was... Just took two chunks of sandstone and was rubbing them together mm-hmm. and making a pile of sand below it. And it just felt like... something 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 clicked something clicked and I just rubbed my toast Mm -hmm. but uh, I guess it was just in school my teacher in grade school had sent a letter home I was a pretty bad student except for I liked science and I liked history but my 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 teacher sent my mom a letter saying like I thought I was going to be in trouble but it was for my art teacher and she said like oh Clint you know he's doing really well in art maybe he should do these summer programs Mm -hmm. I was like I gotta go to school in the summer I don't want to do that (laughs) But it was like totally different. Yeah. After school art classes. And I just, ever since then, I was just sort of like, I was like eight eight or nine years old. Oh, Clint's going to be an artist. I wanted to be a scientist. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah. But uh, I had a microscope and I loved looking at stuff under that. Yeah. I just didn't have the math.
0: Well, science is like the creative side of mathematics, I think.
1: Right. Who was it that said that? Was it Einstein or someone quoting Einstein? He said that. uh, I'm not bad at math. I'm
0: just bad at numbers. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of like me. Uh, so when yeah. you was high school, were high you school playing sucked. music? Were you playing music in high school? No, but I
1: listened. That's when I got into real music. It was a kid on the bus. I was like young, like yeah. sixth grade. He gave me a Dead Kennedys tape and a Circle Jerks tape. Nice. No, no, it was Dead Kennedys and uh, what the hell? It's one of those heavy metal bands now. I'm trying to think of it. Metallica? No. They're no Iron Maiden. So it was like Iron Maiden or something. That I, I didn't get into Iron Maiden. Megadeth. Maybe it was me- Megadeth. Maybe it was Megadeth. One of those bad bands.
0: Usually the uh, record cover would help sell those. Yeah, it was, yeah,
1: this was a tape. And I remember I didn't listen to the heavy metal one, but I loved the Dead Kennedys tape. Yeah. And I was like in sixth grade.
0: Was it the one with the DK logo on it? It's the first one. It's, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I didn't have the tape logo. He just gave me the tape. I didn't see the cover. Uh, and then this kid near me, he had a Run-DMC tape.
0: Raisin' Hell? Raisin' Hell. That's a good one. And uh, That's kind of all you need right there.
1: Dana Dane. He had Dana Dane. Oh, yeah. That rapper, Dana Dane. <laughs> yeah, Dana yeah, Dana yeah. yeah yep. he had Dana Dane. So we, we, listened, we listened to that, and my cousin had turned me on to some stuff. That was my first introduction. But I didn't know that music had an attitude, had a culture behind it, because I'm still in a small town. Yeah, I just thought you listened to whatever right. liked, you liked. Know? So I would listen to a lot of stuff in there, because I started skateboarding when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's your first attempt at self-mastery. Yeah. You know, and it's the first attempt at, uh, sort of delineating yourself from your surrounding, right?
0: Yeah, it's a culture in a way.
1: It's a culture. And it's, it's, it's the first time you're connected to something much bigger yeah. than your small town in Ohio.
0: Well, those days too, the videos were big. Yeah. If you, I don't oh, know yeah. if you got your hands oh, yeah. on them, but you know, like search well, for animal chin would be like, that yeah. blew my mind. Yeah.
1: That was, uh, that was like right before I skated. That was, yeah. So you must be maybe a little older me or something, but yeah. Uh, Animal Chin I've, I saw it a guy was playing it in but the skateboards weren't the they were the old school yeah, skateboards yeah, in that yeah. but then it was like when I don't know like Birdhouse Projects Alien Workshop all that started, that second wave yeah. in the early 90s I was just that's when I caught
0: it No, that's when I retired that's when you retired <laughs> <laughs> yeah right before college when trying a handrail that was like a three kink, you know yeah. handrail board slipping out from under me and hitting right in the team like as hard as i couldn't sit for like a week and i was about to go to college and i was like you know what i'm gonna just take it easy yeah
1: i got that story later on in columbus i guess we'll just keep rolling here (laughs) (laughs) because i'm still in my hometown oh my god uh no that was that was it you know yeah Uh, crazy time in a small town what are you gonna do there's nowhere to really skate you just skate yeah, on it's like flat out there There's not flat a lot. Yeah. you're just doing like Do you have a skate
0: park nearby or nothing
1: nothing like that there wasn't any skate parks a guy had a vert on a, on a, air, on a nearby airport like for yeah. local farmer planes stuff like that he built one
0: so I didn't it's, have on it that's a rough phenomenon because people were outside the city who never get the street skate really yeah. What ends up happening is it, someone they a builds a monster ramp. So you have no experience. And then you're diving on it. And thing. you got to drop in on like a foot of vert and you just eat. Yeah, this one was your made face. out of metal.
1: It was made out of like metal, solid metal.
0: What kind of is it, it, is is a a
1: guy. Thing? The guy made it because I guess it was an airport and it was like leftover metal or something. I don't know. Yeah, like it's, it's it. not good for
0: any no. falls. Or any, I'm sure it's fast.
1: Well, the first guy, he, 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 he said, you got to learn how to fall first. So I put the knee pads on and the, the helmet just pushed and you I, off. I just the side. fell on my knees over and over and over again. Yeah. I was like, yeah. F- uh, well, that's f- fun. F- just f- diving f- in, f- in. on your knees. Fun. I got the pump. I did a little rock and roll. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Skateboarding. That, yeah. Acid. Skateboarding. Girls.
0: At the know, same time? At
1: the same time. That's early. Yeah. Well, no. When, when you're moving on the board, it's even harder.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can I imagine.
1: No, but I mean, no. It's just like, you know, you're 15, 16, 17 years old. It's a small town. There is nothing to do but listen to music, yeah, and skate.
0: So creativity became up. the excitement. Of yeah.
1: Well, no, yeah, that that form right. of creativity, self expression, yeah, trying to master something, being part of something larger than yourself, being part of a collective. Mm-hmm. Let's admit it's, it's a collective mindset there. Uh, and you would meet all these weird guys. They all skated, but you would never hang out with them otherwise. Right. You know, like like we'd pick guys up in the middle of cornfield. We'd also pick them up like in the like bad part of town. Right. And just like we'd all go skate, you know?
0: Yeah. I was friends with a lot of guys who now in retrospect, I'm like, wait, that guy who would pick us up in the station wagon. Must've been like six years older than us when we were like 14. That's weird. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So hanging out with all those girls for it. Yeah.
0: But it's the brotherhood of skating. It is. It is.
1: Yeah. That was great. But I remember, especially, I think a couple of my friends were older. They went away to college and I was like, left there and I felt weird because I graduated from high school high mm-hmm. school sucked I was like the only skateboarder a couple of the younger kids you know kind of came up behind me and like Ooh, that, you know try to like join the skate crew right like, go ahead come in
0: but I hated it it was a Friday night lights kind of scene usually sports is like if you're good at the basketball or something that's yeah everything's weird. sports
1: yeah, it's not much. It's bars and churches in that town. Yeah. That's about it.
0: Man, that's where I grew up. Yeah, bar bars, church, churches. bar church. Yeah, that's it. Convenience store, pizza shop, bar church, yeah. bar church.
1: Yeah, I did. I did karate back then as well. That's why I, before I skated and into to, when I skated, my mom took me to a karate class, and that was nice. That nice. occupied a long time. Your early
0: foray into Japanese culture. Yes, it was. It MD was D hand.
1: Yeah, someone gave me a book of Five Rings, and I was like thirteen. <laughs> I'm not going to read that when I'm 13. <laughs> right. Ooh, cool cover. Hey, yeah. uh, anyway, I went with a friend of mine. We, we did that for years, and I, I loved it. You know, I kind of got to travel around a little bit and did yeah. those demos and belt tests. And That's cool. Uh, and then, yeah, when I met girls in skateboarding, karate, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. not cool. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, then, then, yeah, had a bad acid trip, and then I realized oh, I needed to go to college. Man. I called my mom at like 3 a.m.
0: She thought, that, I was, she
1: thought I was in jail. I'd on been,
0: that trip? It was recently... It was Man, it's re- a bad trip if you call your parents.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but recently I've been in... I was sent to this holding cell in, in, at my local police station for skating at night. Completely, not, just harmless. Yeah. And my mom was pretty angry about that. And I, and I called her again. She probably thought, oh, God, are you back in jail? Right. <laughs> I, was, I was a good kid, no. Yeah. Uh, no, I said, no, I, said, I, want, I want to go to college. And she said... Uh, oh, you're going to get debt. <laughs> I said, okay. She said, we'll talk about it in the morning. So, okay. So I called her. I was like, yeah, I just had a realization. I got to go to college. I got to get out of this town. So then I applied for the Columbus College of Art Design. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I got accepted. I came in a semester later than my friends. Cause it was like a last minute decision. Yeah. You know? And,
0: uh, so some people laid the groundwork there.
1: Yeah, they did. And I thought I knew nothing about art. I remember, in sixth grade, I saw "Son of Heaven." It's a Chinese art exhibit at the Columbus Museum of Art, and that was mm-hmm. the first time I went to Columbus, but in a bus. And I saw that stuff, and it blew my mind.
0: Right, the first museum trip is yeah. like always. Oh my god! And it was all that jade, yeah.
1: and the stone terracotta warriors were there. I saw the 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 gown of the emperor of China, the yellow gown. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. But yeah. And then I got a job working at the same museum when I was an undergrad.
0: Oh, that's cool. I was like, oh, wow, well, like a work study thing. Just, just got a job. Just got a job. Yeah. Well, well yeah. mom would appreciate that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, and when I first got to art school, undergrad, I knew nothing. I had no education whatsoever.
0: To take so, art history
1: straight off the? No, uh, it was like a Bauhaus type school. Just heavy in the design, heavy in concept, color concept. We had an infamous. Do you know about Columbus College of Art Design?
0: You know about that. I mean, I know of it. I just don't know it I mean,
1: well. It was like known to be like really hard in, in the eighties and nineties, like really difficult school to get into because of their rigorous color concept, and you know, most people yeah. quit. Uh, do they call it CCAD,
0: or is no, there a, is there I a nickname so. for it? CCAD. CCAD. Yeah. Okay.
1: But I went there thinking, well, art is just what pictures you draw. Yeah. You know. So I, I, well, obviously I'm an illustrator. So I went in for illustration. That did not last. I hated that. I I got to draw what you tell me to draw. Yeah. I didn't understand that aspect of it.
0: And I'm sure the students who were really sort of, you know, deft at like copying things or making things look like things were the star. Yeah. yeah, The star students.
1: And I had gotten a work study job in 3d illustration which is, since I was an illustrator, they put me in a job in the illustration department. That 3D I, illustration? 3D illustration. It was silicon rubber molding oh. monsters. Yeah. And that was my introduction into like fine art. So that first year as an illustrator, i got working for this, you know, making weird stuff. And there were a couple guys in there, Charlie Callian, one of my friends in California, still painting over there. You know, they were doing this stuff and I thought, you know, this is closer to where I want to be doing. I want to be doing like sculpture. Yeah. You know? So I, Decided to change my major.
0: Was I, it easy or a, did they?
1: I don't remember. I, I don't remember changing it. So it must have been so easy. I They're just walk, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> walk over there. You're going to have a couple extra classes you'll pay for. It's going be useless to you or something. You know, right. Take these. You know. But uh, yeah, I became a sculptor. And then I started painting. And my, my senior thesis show was a half sculpture, half painting.
0: So did you, I mean, was the painting just part of, you know, how when you go to art school, you got to take classes in other areas? Yeah. Was it that, or was it an extension out of the sculpture? Were they connected? It's funny.
1: I didn't do that sculpture. Where the, I didn't do that painting where the shit leaned out of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone goes that that transitional word. Yeah, yeah. It's part painting. It's part mm-hmm. sculpture. Uh, no, actually I did make that sculpture.
0: I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was an assignment.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, was, I got a job working for Ann Hamilton, that's a good gig. Yeah. And she's in Columbus and right. I helped her on like when she got her first studio there, that was a major influence on me.
0: What year were you in undergrad at that point? Uh, late nineties. So you were almost graduating. Yeah. Like almost graduating. something. Yeah. Uh, that must've been a learning experience. Yeah. And then with Doug Bosch was another,
1: we took this, I took this class called material studies and I was like, you know, Ava Hess and all you, you're at first school in Ohio. That stuff isn't talked about conceptual art. Yeah. You know? So I was turned on to conceptual art. Everything we went to the whole run through the, everything. Carl Andre, all the minimalism stuff. It was very very was concise like class.
0: Dia Beacon in the class, yeah. and
1: it was so successful. He just kept making part one, part two. We just kept taking the same class, yeah, you know, like learning more and more. Uh, and then when I met Anne Hamilton and got the job for from for, for her, I said, well, you know, maybe I want to do an installation art. Of course, installation art was sort of on the wane. Yeah, in the late nineties, it had its minute in, in the, the 90s. early nineties.
0: 90s it was. I mean, yeah. Matthew Barney yeah. and... and Well, Matthew R- Barney
1: was... a you know I didn't hear about him until I was... I hadn't graduated yet. And I saw a Matthew Barney image. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? And I read about an article at an art forum. I was like, this is interesting. This is something... Was it the
0: drawing restraint stuff? Yes. Yeah. I think it was
1: drawing restraint, or it was one of the first cream masters. Like, he started with five or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that... Matthew Barney was a big turning point. And Hamilton was a turning point for me. And so was Matthew Barney. And of course being very poetic and minimal, um, I mean, Matthew Barney was like, it was a revelation. Yeah. Yeah. It was a revelation. And uh, that started me doing, um, more sculpture. A friend of mine named Matt Clausen ran this music art thing in Columbus. It's the coolest thing in Columbus called, it was called fire exit. Mm-hmm. And they I made mean, real bands would come and play like people, members from tortoise played there. Oh, nice. Mouse on Mars played there. I mean, they would, he had this uh, really large building, like a warehouse. His dad had for and he was window. He made windows. He uh, would have these music shows there. Man, it was it's, he, a lot of good bands. Plastic yeah. Man. I mean, then half of the building would all be art. And since I was, you know we were friends, I just got a chance to actually make that.
3: That's you know, really cool big installation. I was I
1: was so yeah, lucky, yeah. so lucky. God, you couldn't pay for that right now, right? And um, we didn't. One of the buildings was attached to this old house that had been boarded up, but intact from mm-hmm. the 1950s. And we opened up the, we kind of broke the seal on it because it was attached to this other warehouse. And we went in and we turned that whole house into a, a sculpture. That's cool. And it was, it was great. But yeah. in that, in the work that I made at that time, and I was working for Ann Hamilton with that guy actually at the time, I used those work to apply to grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, I applied, uh, to Yale and Art Institute of Chicago. And and when I got my uh, acceptance for both, I was like, whoa, you know. know, What do I do? No, I had no... What year is this? I don't know, 1999, 2000, 2000, I think.
0: It's crazy, because I... We went to grad school the same... I mean, I was... Well, I graduated in 99, but I I also, I got into the Art Institute. Oh, really?
1: Did you go to the Art Institute?
0: No, I went to Yale instead, because so many of my friends from Pittsburgh went to Chicago for music. Yeah. That I was, I I was afraid that if I go to Chicago, I wouldn't make any art and I would just make music the whole time. So I went, that almost happened. I went to New Haven instead. And then I met people and started the band and recorded records. (laughs) So it kind of backfired.
1: Well, again, with the drums in Columbus, the music scene is, was so great. Yeah, I mean, looking back, it was great. I mean, I'm going to shows all the time. I just stopped by there the other day and, and saw Sebado on, on off the hook.
0: Just, Whoa! Last few sidewalk And
1: the guy, yeah, the guy just said, "You want a ticket?" I walked in. I was like, "It was like nobody there." I just listened to Sebado.
0: Sebado's still playing gigs. They are. That's impressive.
1: They have a new album, but uh, <laughs> but Columbus, you know, all, you got the, you got all those the, the college circuit. Yeah. So all those indie bands.
0: When Ohio's that stopping, Like it's a good place in between Chicago and New York. You yeah, know,
1: you, where can you, can go, you can do Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland, end, and, well, you can do Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. And if you want to go down into Kentucky, you can do that. You know, Yeah, like I mean, Ch- when, Chapel Hill. And, yeah. When
0: I grew up in Pittsburgh, we would go see a band in Cleveland, see them in Pittsburgh, and then yeah. see them in yeah. Philly. If we yeah. really loved them, yeah. we'd do It'd the fall. trifecta. But yeah. yeah,
1: there's a lot of good yeah. gigs going through there. So I guess, yeah, that would be. Columbus is where I really cut my teeth and, and music and my art and everything. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much of it. I mean, I mean, I saw Elliot Smith in a small club and he sounded just like, a it sounded just like he was singing on his record. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. You know, and you see so many of these little bands that you, you later on, you can't believe you saw them at like Bernie's bagels and distillery, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. I know. It's crazy. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> I remember playing the band and we would play with bands and we played with Cat Power, and she was... Just the same thing, like you yeah. described with Elliot Smith. Yeah. Hanging out before the show, didn't say a word, just yeah. hanging out there. And yeah. just, like so quiet, and the performance was real, like, raw, you know? Yeah, like, drinking a beer with Cool Keith, and you're like, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Just yeah. hanging out. Yeah, hanging out. <laughs> at different times, though, because there wasn't that... I feel like you couldn't triangulate then. Like It yeah. was less... I don't know, maybe it was almost easier to meet people in that sense because you didn't have all the social media, all the craziness of like technology to sort of complicate the rest of it in a way. But weeded,
1: it weeded out things. Yeah. If you didn't know where the party was, you weren't there. Right. Yeah. You know, but if you knew, knew where the party
0: was, it was pretty easy to talk to yeah. whoever. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's true. And I, I had a friend, you know, we, we just saw so many. I met, and plus, back then, you want to meet the guy. So you yeah. you wait behind the Newport or something. I met Tony Rollins or Henry Rollins and... Back when you said, uh, you know, like, Helmet and those oh, yeah. guys, you know, it was great. Just, yeah. You're there. But I think if something happened, a lot, and I started playing drums, I lived with a roommate had a nice drum kit. And mm-hmm. I just really said, oh, I kind of have a knack for this, and maybe I'll get, buy a drum kit. So I did. And I just, I loved it. And I had a couple of friends who were really good drummers. And I was like, oh, God. You know, and I just would watch them like in awe,
0: you know. Learn from them.
1: Yeah, I did. <laughs> but. Uh, when it time, came time, I just, I was living in this really nice place, was in a long-term relationship, had a drum kit, big studio, you know, had a, had shown art in the Columbus Museum of Art two times, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of hit the, hit the ceiling. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do for, you know? And then the I saw step. friends like, like everyone who got talented, like RJD too, and it was, they just left mm-hmm. the Columbus and everyone was leaving, you know, so I was like, I got to get out of here. So I applied to you know, grad school. And then I deferred. I deferred. I didn't want to go. I wanted to wait an extra year. And they said I couldn't do that at Yale.
0: Yeah, you can. Yeah, I can. I don't think you
1: can but Art Institute said they could. And I remember when I went, I didn't want to go to Chicago either. I wanted to go to Yale. Because Chicago had this amazing wood studio and metal shop. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to get caught up in making all this like technical shit. And you know, Yale had this really nice saw. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of basic and I, right. I like that idea plus I was like Matthew Barney the artist that I liked came from there I really wanted to go there uh, but I got my letter of rejection that second year when I tried to reply oh, I was yeah. like oh fuck yeah. did I lose my
0: up you, blew your, blew, you blew your shot
1: I guess I did but in hindsight uh, going to the Art Institute I remember I walked in there was a guy doing Tai Chi in the studio I knew the form <laughs> so, <laughs> so that I, that came, right I came up behind him I started doing the form He's like, who are you <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was. I said maybe I'm in the right place. But I brought my drums, sat there, and I lived in this music studio for a oh, while. Nice. Yeah, I just played music. What parts of the city? All the way up to end of the red line, I guess, towards uh, Loyola, Loyola okay, where all these Ethiopian restaurants are up there. It's so funny, I don't know anything about Chicago. Three years. Phew, yeah. Don't remember anything. I only visited, but <laughs> yeah, I, know. I just remember being in the studio, hanging out, laughing, drinking beer. Yeah. Good music. Right. A lot yeah. of good music. A lot of good music. So what years Fucking were you there, gold. 2000? Uh, 2003. I got left in 2006 for Japan. We're talking heyday of like Chicago music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pitchfork just started.
0: Yeah, it was great. We got Thrill Jockey running a to town. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, first time I went, I went to Chicago in high school. I remember this now. I went to Wax Tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and back. That was, that was a big city. That was the first big city I ever saw in Chicago, and I was blown away. That's why I kind of was like, no, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Chicago, I can't say I loved it. I love the music and stuff, but man, the weather. It's rough. And the art scene there is not, the school is fantastic. The museum is top notch. You know? I know,
0: it's right there, too. You can just I know. cross the street. It was
1: the best job I ever had. I had a job being one of the, uh, like, lecturers. Oh, yeah. You know, and you do like the internship that summer and you read and you do this lecture. That was a pivotal moment for me because I learned how to study. Yeah. And I learned how to speak. Talking art. And speaking art. Art speaking. To tourists,
0: right? To tourists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I, you know, put themes together and travel on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like how to be confident. You right. Talking. Plus, it, I had access to the library and the, so certain portions of the, you know, the archives Mm -hmm. to study. I found a bunch of weird stuff down there and that got me kind of started on this whole other line of like uh, esoteric and psychology and all the things I went into later. Later Mm -hmm. I found those early books, like rare books down there and I was like, what is that? Yeah. Some guy had pointed at something in a painting. Yeah. And the other guy said, Oh, it's an alchemical thing. It's an alchemy thing. I was like, oh, really? So I wrote that down. I went to go find. It. Of course, you go look for something like alchemy in an archive. You're going to find weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Found old manuals,
2: books. <laughs> grimoires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Break the seal on the scroll. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's like a unique opportunity, mm. especially in parallel to like your own what you're doing. You know. Yeah. So did you? Was it mostly sculpture? Were you moving into the painting? Yeah, the sculpture
1: moment? department I went into. No, God, I, the last painting I made. Drove me so crazy. I took a garden weasel, and I rammed it right through it.
0: <laughs> That's pretty
1: but severe. I didn't throw it away;
0: I kept it, <laughs> right? Because, of course, that could be cool. That's performative.
1: I kept it. I kept this one painting from my entire grad school. <laughs> and at the end of it, I just took it. and I threw it up into a tree. I'm <laughs> like, I'm done with this painting stuff. I finished the piece. Yeah, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> like right on a branch. But yeah, I, yeah. All I did was sculpture and performance. In grad school. That was it. I was were already there, working my way into performance.
0: Were there teachers who were like the ones you connected with? I didn't with like or? any teachers there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that. That's off the record. Off record. No one listens to this. Uh, no one does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, there's good teachers there. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Lie. I just didn't click with any of them.
0: Well, that's the thing. Is that a teacher can be great, but you jive with certain people at certain times in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was so much of this.
1: It was too conceptual. It was yeah. too uh, political, too theory-based. You know, I took a lot of those classes and I liked it. I liked to learn how to write and I liked uh, theory classes. I mm-hmm. love conceptual art. Uh, but some of the people in the classes drove me nuts. And I just always felt like, just to say, I remember saying, we need to be doing more. Right. It was like sacrilege. Yeah. Oh, God. No, you'd be thinking more.
0: Right, right. I'm yeah, like, no, uh, I yeah. had those people in my yeah, classes. I'm too. like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, I, and I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoyed those. Like Greg Bordowitz, is, he had a couple of good classes. Joseph Grigley had a couple good classes mm-hmm. that I, I liked taking there. I took these classes on Black Magic, Witchcraft, and Sorcery. That was an actual class. Really? By Marilyn Holberg. And then I took a, another class, Miracle Voodoo, Voodoo and Something. Uh, and then I took some cultural classes, Japanese culture through cinema. Nice. It was good. Uh, uh, James Elkin's classes were very good there. You, know, you learned a lot from the, uh, those classes. You know, failure was sort of a subject back then, like, right? Yeah. You
0: know, well, it's uh, making a comeback. Yeah, yeah, People are understanding the value of failing at yeah. something because you learn through it. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's why I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a whole life failing. Uh, I'm a pro. Yeah. Someone said to me the like, hey, "Sisyphus was ripped <laughs> mentally too." That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get these like weaklings, and then you get Sisyphus back there. He right, knows right. he's up. He's
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did it was when you graduated? Did you? You moved to Japan right after that.
1: Yeah, it was weird. That's a big change. I broke up with this. I broke up with someone. Yeah, and I met another girl. My current wife. <laughs> Not current. Oh, sorry. God. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, the art scene in Chicago kind of sucks. Yeah, that occurred to me, and I was like, it's like there's no like place. It's all over the place, you know. Right. And everyone kept saying, you got to get out. You got to get out of here. And I was working at a factory sanding Bondo for like... cars? Cars. Yeah. We worked on the Oprah Winfrey set. It's like a tech... What do you call those uh, those companies? Oh, God.
0: Production studio? Production fabrication
1: studio. Yeah. Uh, Scenic studio, sorry. And I was working for Scenic Studios for a while. And man, I remember this one day. I was sanding Bondo with a mask on. And I looked and I could see like all the sanding I had to do was laid out in front of me in these sections. And I looked at that, and this voice in my head said, that's like two months.
0: It was like the hallway or the the rows in Brazil of all the desks that just go back forever. Yeah.
1: I was like, "But I know exactly what I'm going to do for the rest of summer and I'm doing it right now. That's brutal. And it just clicked. And you know, I'm going to go to Japan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. That's it. (laughs) I literally, that's how it happened. I think that's, you, you said to yourself in your mind, what's the furthest, Yeah, I, where's the furthest I can be from this right now? Not only conceptually, but geographically.
1: Well, I, I traveled Japan. My previous, my relationship in, in uh, Columbus mm-hmm. uh, was with a Japanese woman. She flew me to Japan in ninety eight, I believe. It was my first outside of America experience ever
0: well, that's ever. deep end of the pool yeah it was and you uh, didn't read or speak anything no so no. it's like lawson's in- you're just like what, where the hell am i yeah, still
1: is lost in translation I'm yeah saying. but uh no i landed and i just remember thinking i was just totally blown away completely blown away yeah it's amazing i remember this i thought this one time oh, there's no there's no christianity here
0: there is yeah, but, but you know what I mean. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't really. And see then it.
1: I, 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 thought to myself, what holds it all together? And I asked the guy that we were staying with. I told him, I said, what holds the society together? You know?
0: <laughs> small question.
1: Yeah, small question. And he, I think he said something like, money, shame, and honor. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> That's like, I guess that could be a good contemporary version of, you know, Buddhist ideals of collectivism yeah. and stuff. And it's not, not money.
2: Money, yeah,
0: but I mean, going back, I said, you know, since
1: it was the first place I'd ever gone, I'd try to go back there. So I went on a spur, no money. Lost my job the first week I was there. It just wasn't a good fit for me. But I was playing in a band with two other Japanese guys, mm-hmm. and one of those guys said, I called him back in Chicago. I was like, man, I, I have nowhere to stay. I'm homeless. I had one day left in a hotel, and they are kicking me out. You
0: know? Wait, and you had a job? You had gotten a job yeah. there, but you got I, I just
1: didn't it. Immediately when I came, I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. They wanted robots. Right. I'm like the farthest thing from a robot. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, since you're a nice guy, we'll put you in a hotel for three days. I had three days to find him. I had no money. So I called this guy in Chicago, my bassist. He's like, Yeah go see my mom. I think my bedroom is exactly how I left it. Oh my gosh. I went up to see this old lady. She ran, she ran like a little kid's nursery. She was so nice. Like my mom, I moved in with her, started applying to every English teaching job and eventually got one. Actually, I didn't get it. I was drinking with somebody at a bar and he was really drunk. And he says, anybody want a job? Yeah. In I'm English? quitting. I'm quitting tomorrow. He was, was. it was. He was like. He was British. Oh, okay. I'm quitting tomorrow, and then I got a phone call. It's like that's that's my job opportunity right there. So I called that place the following day, and they're like, "Can you work now?" There you go. So that was my job.
0: You're hired. So yeah. you lived with mom.
1: I lived with mom for a little while, Japanese yeah. mom, but then I applied to an art residency, and I didn't know what I was doing. It just happens that the guy that picked up the phone was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> And he said, yeah, you know, I'm moving and you can live in my house here in Shinjuku, or near, near Tokyo, in Tokyo. Yeah. Because that was kind of far away. I was in Omiya, so, uh, you know, northern, north part of Tokyo. Yeah. Um, so I, I immediately found it. I couldn't believe it. It was a dream come true. They gave me a really nice rent and I had a really nice place to Tommy Matt's, sliding doors, the old Japanese phenomenon. Yeah. I lived there for a year. My Julie Curtis, my wife, mm-hmm. lived there, moved in with me for a year. Uh, that was a transformative time, my life for art. Because coming out of grad school, uh, I was making, look, in grad school, I was making like real far out conceptual shit.
0: Sculptural. <laughs> Sculptural, from, yeah.
1: Yeah, like I was making post it notes that like post it notes, mm-hmm. but they weren't post it notes. Right. Uh, cardboard boxes, you know, uh, you'd have to look. <laughs> Were you an
0: officially in Vice fan?
1: Uh, no. I loved some of those. It was funny as I was leaving. Somebody showed me a picture of Getty Saboni's work, and it looked a lot like that. And yeah. we had actually done the same exact piece. I mean, basically. Mm-hmm. And someone sent me a picture. I was like, oh, where, who is this guy? Where is he? Oh, he's in New York? Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's in art fairs. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, I was like, that guy came in my first art nemesis. Oh, Getty? Yeah, yeah Getty. Uh, but when I moved to Japan, that really, really messed my career arc. Yeah, just, it killed me. I just vanished off the face of the earth to everybody. Including well, you, yeah, <laughs> literally.
0: To their credit, you were pretty far away.
2: I was far away.
1: <laughs> uh, we, we did a couple group shows. I had a
0: show a group show in Hong Kong, it was really cool. Hard to make sculpture there though, wasn't Impossible. it? Impossible. Yeah, it's not set there's up n- for that sort no, of
1: there's no trash anywhere. And in Chicago I was just grabbing things left and right. Because there's people, there's objects, materials. I was using found objects. Good luck
0: finding, you can't even find a trash can to put trash in. No, you're carrying that stuff around with you.
1: So then, in Japan, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be there. I wanted to get away. But I know I had to make art. So I started with collage. I just started with collage. Yeah. And then uh, I thought, well, I'm kind of doing it. I did make some paper bags that I could fold up and unfold. Mm -hmm. So they were like, you know, just for space. Right. And found objects i started doing photography back then and uh, just working with everything and slowly a kind of way was coming out but that second year i spent in japan i was there alone and all i did was read and drink and wander around i was like uh, just sort of like what am i doing getting lost getting lost I'm thinking, did you okay. have a
0: community i mean you're teaching english so yeah is that I, okay
1: i taught like 60 middle-aged women english oh wow you weren't
0: like teaching kids
1: no. I know the intimate secret life of Japanese, mid, mid-life Japanese women.
2: Via English? Via, Via English. truncated English? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. It, that was.
1: They would just, I was like, the, basically, another reason I got interested in psychology, I was just basically turning into their therapist. Really? Yeah. So it was just, they would just didn't want to talk about the lesson. They wanted to talk about everything that was going on in their life. And since they were speaking English, they were just really opening up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a therapist in Japan. He, I said, How'd you become a therapist? And he said, I started I as an English teacher. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I understand.
0: It's the career path.
3: Yeah.
1: But eventually I had to get out of there. And when I was in Hong Kong, I heard an, uh, a message was given to somebody in Hong Kong. They asked people when I was there, Does anyone want to work for Saul Wit mm-hmm. in Massachusetts? And I said, Send that email to me. When I get back to Tokyo, I'll, I'll apply to that. It's for Mass Mocha.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think Saul had just died, he'd already started it and then he died. And then I applied, and I, you know, some of the pieces I made are meticulous sculpture wise. I used broom bristles. Yeah. These structures that are broom bristles I glue, glue, apart, glue together. And they'd saw that, and they said, Yeah, well, you're in Japan. Would you willing to come back to Massachusetts? And I thought, This is the perfect way to get back into America, you know, have a job waiting for me. So and
0: I, a job that, working with broom bristles has prepared me for yeah exactly what did that yeah. <laughs> what's the odds? what's the over under on that job yeah right. <laughs> well <What? laughs> <laughs> that's fortuitous did that happen yeah
1: yeah so i saw i used it as an opportunity to get out of japan yeah uh, i love love loved being there i learned a lot i read a lot
0: i know when you said that just now like an opportunity to get out of japan i just shivered a little because yeah. it's, i i'm constantly thinking why don't i live there and well
1: i saw guys that they came there for one year and they're on their eighth year. Yeah. And they kind of plateau, you know, especially, I mean, guys, especially guys, there's a certain, there's like five types of guys that go to Japan. Mm-hmm. I, I whittled it down to this, like five types. There's like that one guy, he's like not good looking, but in Japan, he's like oh, five.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: looking for exotic. He never
1: leaves. Yeah, yeah. That guy never leaves. Yeah. He never speaks English, Japanese to just a little bit. Right. Uh, but,
0: yeah, but he'll get a second look from people, which yeah. thrills him.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember when I came back to the States. Uh, why is nobody paying attention to me? Oh, yeah. You
0: won't get a look oh, ever.
1: Man, oh, man. I'm nobody here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I remember thinking, God, when I come back to America, I'm going to be surrounded by foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I came back. immediately went to work at Mass MoCA. I shouldn't have done that. I should have took a little bit more time. Oh, yeah. Because I was took me a long time to stop bowing oh really and saying hi yeah 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 i was like japanese right i was like bowing on the telephone before i left you know it was like, like
0: two two years two, two years a amount of time. solid I never you well, never any language
1: for, i mean i'd known a little bit from earlier but and i started to get in point you know i could ask for directions and eat and be very polite and Get did around. you have
0: did you have hiragana and katakana under your belt?
1: Uh, hiragana, katakana, yeah. I, I, especially hiragana would be the easiest. Katakana, was, you know, hir, hir, no kanji. I didn't know much kanji. Yeah, no, hiragana, katakana, and I could, you know, be, I couldn't express myself in complex ways. No, right. And everybody, as you know, when you're there, everyone wants, wants to speak English. Yeah, it's to you. easier in that yeah. sense. That's right, fine, right? But um, yeah, mass mocha
0: How long were you in that gig?
1: All summer
0: working for Seoul. Yeah. Saul's legacy.
1: Yeah, I did the downstairs, all those abstract, uh, the magic marker works, the pencil works that are on the ground floor. Uh, met, met somebody who was Japanese there. She was one of the head workers for LeWitt. And I, she took me to New York. She was the one who brought me to New York. So I came and was working for art handling companies, you know, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. First day in New York, she points to this truck. She says, that's probably what you're going to do. I was like, "What?"
0: It was like safe art transfer or something.
1: Something, yeah. Loading stuff up. What's my first job? Back of a truck, right? Art handling. Oh, brother. But then you <laughs> kind of learn, you know. You learn the bottom. Right. Yeah. Like I learned more one month in the back of an art handling truck than I did everything in grad school about the art world. Right. Yeah. That's the real education.
0: Yeah, That's like work for a gallery or art handling or something, and you just you see the. Like walking in on the on the whole world naked. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, oh, this is what happens? Oh, what's all <laughs> this
1: postmodern training got to do with anything? Right. I'm like, I don't know anything. So I started there, worked around, uh, then was doing soloit wall drawings here and there. You know, they paid well, you know. Um and then I got a job working at art I, I did a I did a soloit for Paula Cooper. Mm-hmm. You had an uh Joe Montgomery on the on show. I did. Yeah. I worked for Joe, with Joe there. He was the head prep there. Yeah. So uh, that was a fun time and uh, worked. I learned a lot about the back room. Yeah, so I went yeah. from the truck to the back room. Then I'd see myself come in and drop the art, artwork off. I used to be that guy. Right. You know, and then from there, worked different art handling. And I went up to the head prep at Sprouty Westwater briefly, briefly. Yeah. Uh, I kind of saw that side of it and kind of then branching out being an independent freelance art handler for some of the upper end galleries, you know, right. and then eventually ended up getting one of those jobs, cushy upper east side jobs, assisting one of those private uh, dealers. I've yeah, been there yeah. for like seven years, a part time. So that's been good. Uh, learned a lot about the real, that, that side of the
0: totally different thing. Totally different. But all the veils, of that, yeah, all yeah. the
1: veils getting lifted. I'm like the education crazy, right? you never that's get. The, yeah.
0: yeah. I had a buddy who did that work and uh, the stories, man, it was wild
1: <laughs> well yeah because you start by going into these billionaires houses and you're seeing who's buying the art and yeah. you see how the art gets moved it's so different when it's on the wall that's the difference in your hand mm-hmm. and it's very different than the museum experiences I had that's a little different totally yeah. yeah
0: it's a different setting different setting then you get to see how these billionaires kids live their life and yeah. what their room looks like and you're yeah. like oh, I live like this and yeah it
1: was when you're hanging like a million-dollar painting in an 11-year-old's room. Yeah, They're like, huh, interesting. A disparity. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, then f- from that, then you get into, like, how all the dealers are working, and you start to see that, how that how that operates, the auction houses. And you're yeah. Like, okay, this is fascinating. I'm going to need to know this. Right. If it's ever going to, you know, take, take off or pick up, you've got to know this stuff. You know, this is how it works.
2: But, yeah, it,
0: yeah. Yeah. And you kind of don't, though. You kind of don't. If your work is good. Yeah. yeah, You kind of don't have to, but you kind of do. Yeah. Or, or It's important. It's, yeah. Uh, well, you should know. It should be on your radar. We you can know.
1: start this whole conversation here, because this is like... I mean, the life cycle of an artist seems to be speeding up. Oh, yeah. Would you agree?
0: Of course. Well, it's like music. Yeah. I always use music as a parallel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just use the music, like new artist. And part of that is the platform. Like, now there's Spotify or there's SoundCloud, like now, there's way more galleries than there used to be. Yeah, so there's a lot more people popping up. There's more people more graduating art from art school. There's more, more art fairs, yeah. there's way more, more blogs or more social media, whatever yeah. it is. There's more of like a vehicle for it all to get out there. So the life cycle,
1: shortens. yeah, I'm sick of Instagram already. It's flipping, yeah. I see so much art on Instagram, but it's like you gotta be on there. Or else you're like, gone. It's like living in Japan, <laughs> 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 you might as well be living in Japan, right? If I was to go back and just be on Instagram. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been weird. It's been weird. But I kept working through it. When I got to New York, it made sense to be a painter. Yeah. Because it's stacked.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I could paint it on a wall. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest, it was because of the, the wit. Uh, I started working, working on that. this really large, what well, we did a really large wall in wall, wall, Korea. Yeah. And I remember looking at, this thing was like 120 feet long, you know, like 50 feet high. And I thought to myself, there was only four of us. I thought, my God.
0: can cover some ground. If I
1: could do this, why can't I do it? Why can't I make something big?
0: Right. You know? If that were Estella, yeah. no way. It's, yeah, it's like... <laughs> you need a foundry.
1: Yeah, and I thought about that. So, and you know how LeWitt had put limits on himself. We'll get a little more conceptual here. That wasn't... Because I'm on, you know, the big five mm-hmm. personality traits. I'm like really high on openness. Yeah. Yeah. And I've read weird things about that. Like, you know, open to all kinds of new new, new, new approaches and things. That's been my art practice forever. I've been open to everything. Uh, my found object, minimalist stuff, performance, painting, I mean, even my trajectory. So it was hard for me, especially in grad school in Japan, when everything could be art, anything could be art. And I liked that idea. But I found it harder and harder to do that. And I, how was I to go to New York and, and get a show showing like a stick leaning against a wall unless I went to art school there or something met people so as an absolute nobody with no friends you know no, no one really here I realized well paintings seem easy and then LeWitt well what if I just limited myself like LeWitt did all the possibilities that are inside that limit you know so I remember thinking well I'll just buy you know 25 little canvases all the same size I'll only buy primary colors and I'll see what I can do so, that limitation eventually I went to sixteen by twenty, and then I started you know going and going, but that limitation was interesting for me to kind of focus my energy in one thing, and I still wasn't very focused ten years ago, yeah, but that's kind of what got me back into painting Just well, it's
0: funny how that can that i mean a lot of times like say graduate school is actually good for that, where you kind of break everything down, then you build yeah. it back up, but you're yeah. doing it under the spotlight of all these voices in your head and all that stuff, yeah, but the idea of it is what you're talking about is basically like simplifying everything, like paring down, yeah. especially because, you know, I think that's one of the hardest. I see it with students all the time too. It's one of the hardest things is like the blank canvas or like, you know, the empty studio. Like, okay, what do, what do I do? Like I, I can do anything right now.
1: The blank canvas and the empty studio, my favorite. It's the end that I really can't, I hate the, the end right before anything is finished I pull away from it. It's yeah. been that way with everything in my life. I love nothing more than a blank canvas.
0: Well, it, so- it sounds like that makes sense because if you're really open to things, yeah. then you you never want to sort of close it off. You know what I mean? You want to keep the your options open in a way and, and to be able to have, be flexible. And once you end something or finish it, it's kind of like you've sealed it. Also, the end of a work
1: says a lot about an artist's understanding of aesthetics mm-hmm. of formal, formal, formal issues. Also as the end result as product, yeah. you know, it's, it says a lot about, um, where you are. Cause it's the, f- it's what you're finishing. Cause you can have a tremendously creative, spontaneous practice until you get to the end and really ruin a painting. Right. You know, yeah, I see a lot of it because the f- final moves are too something too obvious uh too, on purpose, you know? Yeah. It just, that's the that last moments
0: I always dread, you know? Um, like the last line of a comedy show. <laughs> when people try to wrap it up and make it real tidy and you're just like, oh really? That's yeah. the closing note? Can I just pee my pants some something? <laughs> Pie in the
1: face. Done.
0: Right? Yeah, Gallagher. <laughs> just, give me the smash watermelon. Smash this watermelon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny if, he, if you could make a watermelon, a hammer out of watermelon and then you could just have a, oh, a, metal, yeah. a metal, a metal, a metal, watermelon painted like a watermelon
0: and like revert you just reverse it that's pretty cool people be like what just happened right (laughs) you know what I imagine is you working on a painting and then taking images of it like kind of like still like having a tripod set up and you only paint one painting for the rest of your life and you just take the photos and show the photos I have thought of it but it's I never finish it
1: whenever I do that I always look back and say why didn't I stop back then right (laughs) god why did I kill this painting it's funny because going into these like new, n- the newer paintings I've been painting this past year, like something changed when I could never listen to any podcast, I could never listen to any lectures if I was painting a painting. Yeah, I couldn't, just music.
0: It distracts you?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I have to be on all the time, right. Like waiting to catch, like surfing this moment of, when's the voila moment going to happen? And sometimes I'd work on a painting like, like Chris Martin or something, like three years they yeah. just they would never end.
0: Tom Niskowski. And I have
1: to be Rest painting place. like 80 paintings constantly cycling like painting 11 or 12 paintings at once yeah. waiting for that moment to, to come out. Right. And it's why like painters like Peter Shear, a friend of mine, he makes it look so easy, you know, these little paintings, ah, yeah. yeah. And I think provisional painting like Richard Aldrich and people like that, I mean Michael Kreber to an extent, uh, they were making paintings that I, I I liked, mm-hmm. you know minimalist, messy, kinda of, you know they just sort of occurred and I love that kind of like when I played drums, sort of spontaneity to it, randomly moving on and on. But I I had a I just had an idea to do I just kept I started doing that recently, that one like blurry spectral mark. Mm-hmm. And it kept in, infiltrating every painting I'd make for like a year. I was like, I'm sick of this mark. Yeah. And I gotta kill this. I kept just I couldn't like a stop virus just kept coming. Virus. It was totally like a virus. <laughs> And then one day I woke up and I, I said to Julia, I was like, man, I had a dream where I painted an entire painting and nothing but that mark. she said, we just make
0: it. It's like, you got to listen to the song yeah. to get the song out of your head sort of thing. And
1: then I started doing those paintings and I realized I could listen to podcasts. I could listen to these philosophy lectures. I could listen. Oh to. yeah. And I started just say, okay, well this is interesting. And I thought, uh, if I'm really about openness, if I'm really about change, you know, then that is a Real manifestation, of real change. Yeah. You know, this isn't just like another another version. So I'm. I decided to make as many of these as I can until I just say no. <laughs> but they keep they keep coming up these like multi fractured paintings. I've got I'm working on like ten of them. Oh, I've got about seven of them close to finish now, and the other ones. You know, these are just ones that I uh, finished up recently as well. Uh, some of the other ones I use, like, I like this idea. I studied Aikido too, is, mm-hmm. you know, as martial art. Yeah. Um, from that, you, know, you kind of learn how to use the other person's energy, right? right. Or, or not waste energy. And that, that kind of concept when I'm painting was always there. Yeah. I didn't, if there's leftover paint on my brush, or leftover paint on the palette, that was going to go somewhere. Right. So I, I would work on maybe 20 works on paper on the side, and a couple paintings on the wall, and a larger painting, and that mark would just wear out. So they just were accumulations of various marks over time, which is weird because when you're making like a wet-on-wet painting, you're catching a m- one moment in time. You know? But when you make these accumulative paintings, it's like you're coming at it with different moods every time you come at it different perspective, different mind state. So they sort of become a compression of who you are, like a kind of average of all your moods and yeah. all your kind of thoughts. this is like kind of what comes out. It's not your best day, it's your worst. It's all of them. Right. And they sort of come out at the end of the accumulation of who you are. But these newer paintings I'm making that are like fractured and fragmented at these thousands and thousands of single brush marks. So I mean... It could be, these are basically, I'm making like a maximalist painting with a minimalist thing, one mm-hmm. brush mark. How many shifts of value can you get? How many colors can you get at one brush mark? Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, and now I, I, I realize that it must have signified a major change in the work recently because of the fact I can listen to words now while I make it.
0: And it doesn't,
1: it, it doesn't throw you off. It doesn't throw me off. 'Cause I get to this middle state where I just sort of intuitively mix the paint colors yeah. until you apply it. But what happens with this now, after a couple hours that I gotta get up and I gotta go to the drum kit. Mm-hmm. and I'll just play drums until I stop. And it just erases my mind that I go back to painting.
2: That's so
1: I kind of fun. I go back and forth <laughs> between drumming and making yeah. these paintings. And it you know, I listen to you know, I've learned a lot about Greek Greek myth. Right. It's it's just great. It's yeah. like going to class while you're making art. Yeah, it's I love, nice I love tripling things, doubling, tripling right. Yeah, because it. yeah,
0: it's like all I mean, you know, I guess I n- necessarily when I saw your work the first time I, you know I first saw the painting, I didn't know about the sculpture at first, so I wouldn't have pegged it or pegged your work or you as a conceptualist in a way, but it clearly, it seems like that's such a huge part of the you know, the work yeah. In hand in hand with the formal aspects of it, but I mean it seems like the idea is is really driving yes. a lot of the process of it. Yeah,
1: it's true, I guess. Huh? Uh someone I thought about what what does it mean to make a devotional painting mm-hmm. in twenty nineteen? What is that? You know? Yeah. What does it mean?
0: And, and <laughs> to say you're devotional Yeah, <laughs> to say that right. you're
1: making a devo is this a devotional painting? Right. You know? Uh w- w- a friend of me said, what is it? And that question has been on my mind, you know, what you could, you could describe what, what it is visually, you know, Oh, the thousands of little marks, but, but what is it? You know? Yeah. It's a minimalist painting with max or maximum painting with minimalist means. No. What does it mean that I painted provisional painting? I, I say provisional painting, sort of, you know, that kind of spontaneous, messy, whatever, anything goes painting. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still working on these paintings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you could say the same thing too, though, for representational work. Yeah. yeah either, once you get past the like, you know, a, a painting of a sunset, you could say, what is that? It's yeah. Like, well, it's light refracted. it's a sun or whatever, but yeah. then, but what is it? You know, it's kind of like existential question that could be applied yeah. to our life as a narrative or a working process or the way something looks or our feelings about it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Those are kind of all the questions that, I would imagine, that live in artists' minds when they're creating things. You know?
1: I, I, I make a very... There are distinctions I make, especially when image is involved. Because mm-hmm. I have a natural inclination to image. I love symbols. Um, and just... I like the way the mind reads them. And it's sort of the language of the unco- It's the language of the unconscious, symbolic mm-hmm. language. And I'm very interested in the unconscious mind. And unconscious action as well. Not just imagery. Yeah, or The language of the mind, but the acts of the mind as well. Imagery, when I see it, I mean, I love looking at it. I love, thinking, what, what, what could, you know, what, what could it mean, you know? But I don't think about meaning as much when I'm making abstract painting or when I look at abstract painting. It's more of an um, emotional, intuitive effect to me. And it, I think this word accumulation has been coming out of my mouth like all month. It's something to do with the act of accumulating like all the stuff I was interested in when I was younger and all the things I studied you know like in times in Japan late school all the things I've been interested in they were always sort of like blocks of blocks of unfinished unconnected pockets experiences, experiences yeah. and knowledge and, and information and a lot of it wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, as, I, as I've as I'm getting older and I'm starting to make uh deliberate attempts to connect things i'm finding that oh god i was wasting so much energy it's all right here
0: mm-hmm. you know? yeah but you have to go through you have it to, to see that.
1: it yeah yeah because you gotta be able to pick up oh okay so the paintings and art and music and all of it's sort of starting to come together for me inside so it's, a, it's more of an emotional spiritual i would hate to say that word but intellectual whatever it's it's i feel like uh i don't need to look at the paintings in a particular way anymore they just i just do what comes naturally yeah uh, you know i don't have any shows coming up nothing
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what? it's the first of my life i'm in love with that
0: yeah, you just do your
1: it, thing I'm just doing it now i have nothing so i'm taking this period of time that i'm in now to just paint as much as I can as anything I want as openly as I can.
0: Couldn't you draw a, a comparative line to life in and of itself is that, you know, as you get older, you like gain these experience. You have like a deeper understanding about things and you think, Oh shit, if I could go back to when I was younger and a student and know this stuff, but you can't know it. It's impossible. And then as you get older, you you're kind of okay with slowing some things down in your life. Like when I was in my twenties first started showing when I got here, you know, I was working all the time. Now life gets in the way of that yeah. in a way, like, you know, you have a family, it most you travel, effective. you know, yeah. you know, but, but back then it was just like all the energy into that. But now, and, and if I had time off, I would get like freaked out, you know, like I want to yeah. be working, I want to be working. Now it's kind of like, I see the beauty of not working and the time and experiences that I have yeah. feeding me in a different way. And I, I don't think I could have had that in my twenties cause I just didn't, it's impossible. I wasn't yeah. there yet.
1: But like to say in Japan, you're either broad, a wide stream or a deep, narrow river, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very broad, shallow, I mean, I had some pockets yeah, yeah. that I was interested in, but I think I just sort of pulled it down and yeah. wanted to narrow things and and in doing that, I was surprised to find that all the stuff on the edges had pulled down with me mm-hmm. and I feel like, yeah, what does it mean to be a we touch our screens all day long. We're inundated with imagery, information. What does it mean to put a paintbrush on a, on a canvas? Are you adding to this information? Are you limiting it? What are you doing? You know, it's, it's a bizarre thing to do. And sometimes I realize I'm bored. Well, might as well paint. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I'm very acutely aware of the time that I have and what I should be doing with it. I'm right. glad I don't play video games. Yeah. Yeah. I know they're awesome these days. I know. But yeah. I mean,
0: well, that's the generation. I like my kids' generation. You know. Yeah. You see some of the stuff they're playing, and you're like, oh, well, I kind of get it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I was looking at two sticks bouncing a ball back and forth, <laughs> left and right, left. I mean, you know, after yeah, a while, that gets. <laughs> after yeah. a couple minutes, that gets boring. Yeah. Now you could spend like a whole you uni- you you could get lost in the universe, which is kind of cool in a way, but. But then you're missing out on this one, but maybe, that's desirable to people. You know?
1: Well yeah, like like the. Uh, uh, I recently had a painting in the hole, that painting there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that was the first time one of these new paintings was out and anyone could see it. I think I I I don't I didn't think about it now. I didn't think about the time then, but I think about it now, and I think that I really liked Mirandi. Because you know? yeah. I remember the first time I saw one, I saw it in Europe. I kept getting closer to it, and it was better and better and better. And I back away, I loved it far away, and I loved it close up. And I thought, man, I'd love to make a painting that operates that well on all levels. And, and how do you compete with a screen and information and all this stuff? And I realized after I made this, man, I could look at this painting forever. I liked making it. It works up close. It works far away. It's sort of, it's sort of like a Pollock. It's not a Hierarchical. You know, it, I started just just thinking about it in terms like like man, I mean, who, who made this and why is, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I didn't, it came about like the same way all the other ones did kind of spontaneously, but yeah, I'm sort of like stuck here now. Yeah. I got to figure this out. Yeah.
0: It's good to get lost. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm always lost.
0: I'm always lost. Embracing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know it. You feel like you're on the right track. (laughs) As soon as I'm on the right track, I go, man, where does that other path go? Right. I got to
1: get off this. I got to get off track for a minute. Yeah. But I mean, now I'm getting, as you know, I'm getting older and you get on track
0: in other ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's like kind of the way life works. <laughs> I mean, as, as unknowable as life is at times, there's paths that, you know, happen that are so in a way predictable because you've heard of other people going down those roads, yeah. you know? I've been like when I was younger, I was really fortunate to have some friends who were artists who had been here doing it for a while, grizzled veterans, you know, who give you advice on you know like things go up and down. When things go down, just hold tight. You know what I mean. Ride the wave. Yeah, Yeah, just keep going, and you know, and giving you this advice that you know for me was really helpful because otherwise, if if I didn't have that advice, I I think sometimes you would feel lost in the process of it. But well, when I first started showing paintings in New
1: York. It was like 2010.
3: Mm-hmm. doesn't
1: no 2013. That sort of, I guess at the time, new casualism and these words are being thrown around. And, um, I remember like one summer I was in like 11 shows and I thought, Oh wow, this is, this is great. This is how it works. Yeah. You know? And kind of like Brooklyn, those Brooklyn shows were everywhere and all these curated shows were everywhere. And I had work going and I was, you know selling the work and moving around I thought no oh, it's just going to continue like that mm-hmm. and then oh that's a fad Whoa. <laughs> right. Whoa, no I went from, I have only 5 this year and then yeah. the next 3 or 4 what's going on you know so yeah I I didn't I didn't understand I'd been Yeah I'd no been one New no York. one tells you that no stuff that
0: hey yeah. when you first come out of the gate there's going to be some action hopefully, hopefully. even well if there is if there is yeah it chances are it might not be that crazy your entire career yeah
1: well i didn't even
0: <laughs> or it isn't just a i thought straight straight i was even to the cr- 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 yeah right. <laughs> uh,
1: but it was yeah and then i thought man, what, what's going on here what's going on and i just i realized oh god there's so many other factors to consider of course changes in the, the nation changes in the world changes mm-hmm. in technology you know
0: yeah big part of the reason i think at that time you're talking about when all those group shows yeah. are happening was because the economic when the bubble burst and like it got kind of yeah, grim there. It, it was uh, a lot of artists banded together and people were putting on their own shows and really doing their own thing and supporting each other. You yes. know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And then, but there was limited social media at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. That so, was more of the social yeah. so, media. I remember being on Facebook strictly for the, you find out what the shows are. Yeah. You didn't have the apps that told you all the shows were opening and there's so many of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. But
0: yeah,
3: uh, I don't know. Well, times say change.
0: About that? Times do, dude. Times do change. Yeah, I well, think, and think, that's what's interesting. I think about like let's say painting, for example. You're just putting strokes of color on a canvas, you know, and all these changes, like you were saying, it. It's like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm just doing this thing from, you know, centuries ago. You know what I yeah. mean? And, but it it gets it constantly is in flux because everything around it changes.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, how do you compete with all the information? I mean you'd have to make a painting that's the craziest painting. Right. One way to do it. Because if you think about the other work I was making, it was sort of minimal, you know, yeah. sort of. So I thought I'd push it to the extreme, the other extreme, and see what happens. You make a painting brightly, many colors. How many colors can you have in a painting? How many shifts in value can you put in one painting?
0: Well, it's like Oval. How many tones and textures yeah. can you have? Well, For the it's computer, yeah, The computer can make a million at the yeah. same time. Yeah, the ear can't hear them. Right. Yeah. But then when you hear, you know, Elliot Smith or Kavauer or someone like that yeah. after that, you hear it differently because yeah. of the bombast, yeah. you know. Yeah. The yeah. quiet changes with all the noise, so I think it's just a constant relationship between these ways of seeing and thinking and creating that are, you know,
1: would well, be cool. Music standards, someone, computer, endless sounds, yeah, you know, synthesizers, but being able to take in a traditional instrument like a paintbrush or a guitar mm-hmm. and make something sound new again is is interesting, yeah, you know, because. I mean, I like the idea of returning back. To, I like the feeling of a paintbrush on a canvas. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird feeling, right? I mean, it's, it's so like a old. drum. It's like yeah.
0: a you know a drumstick on a drumhead. Yeah,
1: a real drumhead. Yeah, nice <laughs> <laughs> dry, dry snare. But yeah, I mean, I am working in media now. I have made a video, mm-hmm. and I, I would like you to see this video. I've never shown. I've only shown it to my close friends before. But I've never shown. I've worked on a couple now. Two video projects. I've worked on video projects in the past. And one of my, probably my biggest success in a grad school was a, was a video I made. A couple of videos. But um, I started with an app in 2012 that came out. Just one of those early apps with the early iPhone called the One Second Everyday App. You've heard of these. You see yeah, them yeah. everywhere. Yeah, They're yeah. everywhere. Uh, and people do them, you know, for like a year or two and they stop. But I've been working on it now for almost seven years, I guess. Whoa. So I've done... One second, I should take one now. I've done one second every day, not every day. I miss a day every now and then. Right, but there's a couple of years where I almost got every single day. Uh, but that now, I put them all together the other day. It was almost a half an hour. I think it was a half an hour long.
0: It's crazy how short it is relative to the time frame. Yeah. Right, you're like, oh, yeah. but it's a weird way to remember your whole life.
1: It's very interesting. Yeah,
0: very interesting. It's it's really yeah. It's it does something right. I used to do that in my when I would give a talk about my work where I'd compress the first 10 years of my images yeah. into, I think it was like a minute and a half and they're going by so fast and it's got like, I play square pusher behind yeah. it. So it's like really fast, like yeah. ethereal drum and bass stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it's weird. It's, it goes by in a minute and a half and it's like 10 years worth of work and I work, I make a lot of yeah, work. You do make a lot of work. And it, the crazy thing is you can't see it really, but you kind of see what I did. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Like yeah. you couldn't go back and give like 20 images, but you kind of get the feel of what I've done over that time. It's like those things where your face gets older. Like, yeah, I don't need to see that. I yeah. one uh, <laughs> It'll pass.
1: <laughs> I see that every day. But what's great, what's great about this video thing is like you also see the evolution of New York City. There's oh, a lot yeah. of buildings coming up, a lot of places that closed or gone now. Then you also see the evolution of the technology of the phone. Right. Because the camera keeps getting better. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then you see me getting you know my life changing. You know everyone around me, my wife and all my friends' lives—they're changing. Babies, you mm-hmm. know, shows. Uh, that's been interesting. That, that'll be a project what, at ten years. I'll be done with that project. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, I hope my boss isn't listening. But <laughs> 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 so I work as I work part time with this guy on the Upper East side, uh-huh. and uh, you know sometimes there's not not much going on. You know, high yield, low volume. Yeah. You know, so I just started. Like I've been on the computers, it's like computers, internet, you know, e-bombs world, you know. Yeah, yeah. Back then, (laughs) and I just, I've saved every funny video and every GIF Mm -hmm. that I've ever seen. I just save them. Yeah. And then it just occurred to me, man,
0: you are a collector.
1: I am a collector. (laughs) I have like ten thousand videos, like on these hard drives. What am I going to do with all this stuff? Like the early memes and stuff. Yeah. And then, the numa you numa know, dance. Yeah, well, I didn't. Again, I didn't want it to be like uh, what I ended up making. I didn't put all the all that crazy yeah. shit in it. It's not like a survey of memes. Right. But I, I, I'm fascinated with the idea of the meme. Fascinated with the idea of shortened attention span mm-hmm. and, you know, harkening back to days of DJing or making mixtapes. I love the transition. I love yeah. the transformation. Endless transformation. So I just started. I learned how to you know, go into your network and get any image and any video off any website. You know? mm-hmm. So I just started filling them up. My Tumblr favorites, you know, Tumblr, Reddit, 4chan, anything you can get. You Just get everything out from every one of these spaces that post memes. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having, a very, like I said, a very extensive library. And I just started putting them together. At first I, did, I just jumped like, I dumped like 5,000 videos into iMovie mm-hmm. <laughs> just to see what would happen
0: crash a computer?
1: It almost crashed a computer. Yeah. It, it actually, I had to cut it up in pieces. Right. The first take was about five hours long. So I just started push. I just pushed play. Yeah. And the first thing I did was, oh, I hate that one. Okay. Oh, that one looks like that other one. I should pull that and put it back over here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And over months and months and months, I whittled it down to about three and a half hours. And then I, when I was at Paula Cooper, we worked on a clock. Yeah. With oh, I yeah. loved that piece. Great. I call it. I think it's. I could still say that today. I think it's my favorite work of art ever made. It's really good. It's really good. And then, kind of being there and watching him, kind of work on the last mm-hmm. finishing touches of it and what how the presentation of that piece and its success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lines around the block. Yeah.
1: People would sit in that thing forever. Yeah. And it always brought you back into the real world of where you were right then and there. And right. You the know what magic. time it is. <laughs> that's the real magic of the piece. But those transitions that he made, like with telephone, and other works that he made that was in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I made a four hour version of the piece and that's a little too long, but I thought in my mind, you'd play if you came into the gallery, you play if you came in, You just dip in, you dip in, dip out. And I noticed I'd start showing people this thing and they would never leave. And so it was just a, Edit of every weird mathematical, I mean, absolute stupidity, which most of these videos are. Right, of course. Just fucking stupidity. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> beauty. And then you get like, I realized I am really like also as part of these like mathematical blogs or you know, science blogs or things. They kind of pairing these things together. Yeah. And you make the weirdest connections, but your brain, it, it like must be releasing dopamine yeah, it's constantly. A candy. It's a candy. Sugar and rush I, for I was your like, brain. could I make an art video? if you told me, Hey Clint, I got this art video. You want to sit down and watch it for two hours? Yeah. I'd be like, two hours.
0: Right. Video art. Sure. No. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, you know, I go always walk into those galleries and sit down for two hours. Mm-hmm. Never. No. Two never, minutes. Two, probably. If you're lucky. Yeah. Uh yeah. I'm like, okay, maybe. Right. But this video I made, all memes connected at different areas. I mean, connected in different ways movement it's not like hey here's everybody falling here's everybody on fire right it's not like that it's
0: not ridiculousness
1: no there is some ridiculousness in it. it's right. definitely funny uh, it's also touching and charming yeah but it is pretty amazing and i took it down to a two-hour version for parties but i mean is it art <laughs> yeah just show it at the guggenheim it would be art then right yeah that's all it takes it needs a good, good frame on it good gilded frame
0: well and part of it uh part of i would think of that becoming art in a way is seeing it outside of its normal context you know what i mean yeah. like if you see it in snapchat it's like yeah i would never yeah, want to put this some... on
1: youtube or anything it, also it's about it's about a lot of things yeah it's and like no one's stopping making memes but i mean eventually we'll look back at this time and it's how memes were used how they were you know they're, they're used politically they're used for humor they 're used educationally now they 're used as language they 're used to communicate in subcultures they are la- language all themselves like i'm reading a book by Bakhtin about the dialectic I don't you know about this guy but it 's not just about the way in which language is framed in a time or place a, with people right and how there's not just language between two people, but it's like, this is like a third thing. The memes I think are kind of like a, a language of our time you know I agree yeah and it's you know, old folks aren't going to understand some of the stuff that's you know, a meme of a meme of a meme of a meme. Mm-hmm. They're referencing some yeah, that language meme that was meaningless to begin with. Now it means something, Right. it doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah, I mean, no one, how do you explain that to somebody? But at the same time, if my grandma watched this video, she'd love it. I can
0: imagine, yeah, yeah. I mean so that, well, the core of it too is engaging, you know yeah. it's, like, its good material, yeah, and you can learn a lot about a kid going too fast on a hill on a bike and flipping over forty times, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it says a lot about the human condition, yeah,
1: yeah why we put ourselves at there 's a really fine line between a fool and a hero, yeah, I think that 's just failure <laughs> right, but it, right. how you take that failure too, you know.
0: and what does it mean to watch that stuff? yeah, yeah,
1: we like to watch people getting hurt, but. There's a couple, you know, sections where people watch. Like, oh, that person, really got hurt. Yeah, but I don't. This is not a politically correct video. I just put up stuff up there because I think uh, maybe that's something that should be seen. Right. You know, and it's 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 edgy. There's some, you know, it's not for kids. but yeah. That way, uh, Julie thinks I should edit it. I make a safe one. <laughs>
0: safe for work version. Safe for work
1: version. Yeah, but I mean that. Working on that, I have uh, collections of objects I'm making. Of cigarette bots and things. I'm working on now. I've been making these grails out of mm-hmm. clay. I just kind of clean my knife on them when I'm like done painting. They look like clunky grails or bad trophies, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I still do make sculpture on the side and projects right. on the side, but they're like fragments of other things. But again, this idea of like never wasting energy. If I'm at work, I write or I'm making I'm making videos.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, it's good that you have that side studio. Yeah. They're not listening. Yeah, they're not listening. Do you have a drum kit? Where your studio yeah, is? Yes, it's in oh, my that's studio. Nice. Yeah. Did you see that? Uh, Tortoise is playing TNT from beginning to end no. tomorrow. What? Tomorrow in Brooklyn. Where? Uh, I think Prospect Park. It's
1: maybe? got to be sold out then.
0: I think it's an open. It's open thing, park. I believe. Tomorrow's
1: gonna be sunny. Eighty two.
0: TNT could be beautiful. It's a great record. It's.
1: I'd say I was gonna say it was the best, but now that's
0: millions no, now living. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but but TNT yeah, TNT has it's, a good one. TNT was, was big. Yeah.
1: That, the, I found, heard that record for the first time in Tokyo oh really yeah the first time I went yeah that and works then, there and Dots and Lines came out too Labs. Dots oh, and Lines came out or, do, or do, Dots, and Dots and Loops, Loops. Uh, that is a great record yeah, too yeah that is and I remember we played that on a turntable the whole time uh, that first trip in Japan it's like a stuck in my mind that first experience
0: I was I was listening to that recently Dots and Loops because uh, just getting back into it it's yeah. a really good record I mean because you know they best. were collaborating yeah John McIntyre was like involved in that yeah. one and, yeah yeah. You know what's crazy too is my you know I told you my son's in the orchestra like yeah. the orchestra band and they did a percussion piece at the school and it was um and I looked at you know because it was a assembly and they had like the performance and they have the the sort of program with yeah. all the listing the compositions who's playing on it yeah. and there was a percussive piece that the percussion group was going to do and it was written by John Herndon and I was like that the drummer from Tortoise yeah it was such a weird how that beautiful. <laughs> Uh, like lines crossing I don't know how it happened but then I googled that composition and I guess it was like something that was written and it was online like you could download that cheap music so maybe yeah. it was just like a piece that it was like made, made or, available
1: or one of the teachers was just cool and hip tortoise, a cool teacher probably yeah. what happened I know I mean like magnet pulls through the drums on that it was yes. like, I, I copied that a lot I, a I loved because you know by, when I started playing drums that was the kind of music I liked it wasn't like although I did like speed like melt banana was basically what the, the Japanese guys that I was jamming out with in Chicago, they wanted to be like Melt Banana yeah. first. They wanted me to play like a madman. Right. Like, like a, uh, what's that band? Lightning Hortums? Bolt or something. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Locust or something. So I played like that, but that wasn't really, you know, it was more, more psychedelic, a bit more free form, you know, it wasn't just pure energy. Think, yeah. You know? So we, it was of course, people like, you know, Tortoise and those bands that were in between funk and hip hop and electronic beats, you know, like, like, when you first hear can you're like what is that yeah so it it, i i did kind of like that was the drumming that i listened to
0: i got to send you the links to the music that the band that i was in back in those days yeah yeah because we were in we recorded an electrical with bob weston in in 2000 what was the name of the band 33.3
1: 33.3 well on aesthetics records from chicago that'd be 33.3 why that name
0: uh thirty three and the third because of the LP, you know, the okay. records and then the John Cage composition okay. I think was part of it and there were three of us at the beginning. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I think that's No why. mystical numbers. I think a threes yeah, there's there's a lot yeah. of there were a lot of different yeah. sort of it's one of those things that you come up with and you don't Find not sure later. what what led to it or what came. Triangle. Yeah, right. Triangle, what is that? <laughs> Actually I was in a band in undergraduate school Called Isosceles oh. The other guitar player was a, uh, a uh, Engineer Like a mecha- mathematical mechanical engineer student <laughs> He experimented with a triangle didn't he <laughs> Yeah he did He knew all about those triangles So well where can people Engage with you in your work well, you like I drop a shout out to people. Uh, yeah. Listening? Well, you know, if they made it this far, they they're interested in you.
1: Yeah, oh God, this is a long,
0: this is good. Yeah. See, we're doing, the, we're doing this. Yeah. The Joe Rogan. See, this is how you get to know someone. You don't mess around with like meeting them on a yeah. you know, street corner or an opening for five minutes. You dive right into a two two hour conference. Are
1: we on two hours?
0: No, <laughs> no, we're not yet. Oh God. Hour and a half.
1: But. I don't even know. We, we, we talk, we're just kind of rambling. That's what it's about. Just rambling on. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know. <laughs> Sometimes people will say like, oh, well, do you have the questions that you're going to ask? Yeah. I'm glad (laughs) you didn't have questions. I don't
1: have that. I'm not prepared at all for this. Um, Yeah. I mean, what what do you talk about? You talk about what you read. You talk about what you eat. You talk about what you're watching, listening, what you're doing. I've been sort of pulled in. I've been a bit introverted as a very extroverted guy that I am. Yeah. Uh, I've been just, like I said, I don't have any shows set up right now. I love it. Sometimes you got to go in the cave. (laughs) I'm in the cave. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I'm, but, yeah, it's been weird. I've never been this productive in my life. I've never been this focused before. Well, sometimes you got to turn off the noise to hear yeah, the sounds, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, just reading more. I, I love reading. The older I get, I love reading.
0: I do, too. And, you know, teaching for me, since I started teaching, like, you know, it's been like six years ago, and I've taught, like, here and there, I guess things, but I it, the one Part of it I really love is just keeping the brain warm and reading more and, yeah. you know, engaging in more conversations. Yeah, the more and,
1: you write, too, because if you stop writing, yeah, well, writing is, is
0: hard to do. It's not easy. I'm not, that's not a gift of mine at all. Not so either. I try to do it just to, you know, keep on the up and up. It, it, it's not easy. But it does dust some cobwebs. Yes, it does. Once you get out of school for a while and, you know, you, you can, uh, it, it can get a little furry up there. You need to clear it out once in a while. Well,
1: it helps you explain yourself, too, and, and how you, learn how your mind thinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: art, 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 and writing. What's that? The weird connection. It
0: it's a weird is weird connection. Well, they're kind of they're structured opposites in a way,
1: or they're unstructured. Yeah, like, like poetry. Who said that? Was it poetry's violence against language? Who said that? Yeah, yeah. It sounds good. But it's like, it's it's sometimes you can be violent against painting. You can be violent against the image. Right. Violence against the act of painting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think you know the early paintings that I liked, and if you forget about my my. Uh, Relevance dot com. It's like a, a blog I have of nothing but the art that I like. Uh-huh. It's like a Tumblr. Uh, I, mean, I noticed. Oh, well, gee, this is interesting. It's like a collection of the things I like. Why yeah. don't I make art that looks like that? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, who was it that said? There a drummer for some shitty band like, Lincoln Park or someone interviewed him once, and he said, "If
0: I was, I would never listen to my music." It's funny because <laughs> I think. <laughs> but I, I, I believe that I that like may, my art <laughs> but maybe there's something intrinsic to your being that comes out you know what I mean you can change it you could but, but there's something there that you're either fighting against or embracing that's just intuitive well they're like relationships
1: a lot of them are uh, people are in a relationship to compensate for
0: what they don't have or they're to complement the best parts right a little bit of both that I kind think, of thing like I just I would never paint what I like to paint I paint it or oh that's a good question what would you like to paint No, no, I'm saying I'm interviewing you. No, no, that's a hypothetical. (laughs) It's like I would never date me, that sort of idea. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I would never want to be in a club that would have me as a member. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well. Start a club. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean,
1: yeah, it's weird. I but that's it. That's been my whole shtick. I won't lie. If the art is surprising to me, and if it's got something in it to me that's got to be the only thing I can give to anybody. Yeah. You know, if it's boring to me, I bet you it's boring to you. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just trust my own taste. you know, of course it's not gonna be everybody's taste. So I, I think that's why I'm constantly pulling the rug out from under myself or, or making the you know, changing it up to make it harder. Right. Cause like I, I have to be falling. I don't have good willpower pushing me from behind. I don't have an excellent work ethic and willpower and some determination. I'm not that guy. I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. So it's just I'm learning how to use all my time as possible to make the lazy times work too. You know? yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of, I switched from a pushing behind me, will determination, to sort of more like a f- pulling from the front. I'm being like pulled by this desire to just go into the unknown, learn new things, try something I've never done before. What happens when you do this? You know, constantly experimenting. You know, And I think I'm falling into this void I put in front of myself just to see what happens.
0: Well, I think that's part of, um, I don't want to say success or productivity, but I mean, part of like doing your thing and keeping going is understanding how you work, what works well and what doesn't, yeah. and then pushing it or, or kind of you know, making it work for you in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people, like, look at Kawara. I mean, he makes, this, he made the same painting every day, pretty much.
1: I made an Ankiwara painting. I made, I made some fakes. Mm-hmm. I love making fakes. I made a great stingle. It looks exactly like a stingle. Oh, nice. <laughs> I've got a, made some, uh, yeah, <laughs> I made a very great wufting leg. It's perfect. But I made a fake Kawara because we had one. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it really close. And I studied it. The back, the wood, I measured it. Yeah, the whole thing. The canvas, the staples, how far apart are you only stapled. So I, I thought, yeah, I'm going to make it. So I just measured it. I had somebody make me the same exact frame, bought the same canvas, stapled it the same exact way.
0: How much did it go for at Sotheby's? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I then, I'll tell you what's hard, painting those things. Yeah. I mean, first he puts, he buys, I think it's Liquitex, and you, know, you lay it down, and he wipes it with a wet paper towel. I've seen pictures. Mm-hmm. So i I seen pictures. Uh, <laughs> I just wiping it down, gets it really like almost glassy smooth and in order. And then he waters the paint down a little bit in order. Like you, you do a little bit of white, you do a little bit of black, you do a little white. And you try to get yeah, it right. Yeah. Man, it. I almost went blind.
0: Oh, people think that's easy. That stuff is not not easy. easy. No,
1: but I, I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. And I found one of the dates that's unaccounted for.
0: Oh yeah, because some days he didn't do it. Yeah, some birth, days he did my three. birthday. Oh really?
1: I couldn't find my birthday anywhere. Nice. So I was like, "Oh, let's do my birthday. It's mine." But yeah, I, you know, doing that, I'm like, "How does that guy ever make that art?" It's like, that's not me. Yeah,
0: like, there's something I very, love very peaceful art. and beautiful about that kind of meditative process of doing that. You know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah,
1: right. All the artists that you like that you you can never make that art. Yeah. Yeah. Really weird. There's Speaking people. of art, musicians, you like workshop? Krylov.
0: I, I I mean I know. Kai What what's Workshop?
1: Oh, he was in a band called Workshop. Oh, I don't... The bulk of his, like, early creative output was, like, in this band.
0: I'm gonna know? check it out.
1: Yeah, I remember being in in grad school, and I discovered two artists in the same week. Mark Manders, mm-hmm. whom I like to sculpt quite a bit, and Kai Althoff, who had a show at the Museum of Contemporary Art there. Right. And that was... Wow. And then I, all his records were there, and I, I eventually got all his music, and he's so open-ended on his music. He played whatever, like polka next to, like, techno. Nice. I mean, not in a stupid way. It's not to really be silly, but it's, right. just, it's, like, really genuine, very weird. But, yeah. Back on that, you know, it's funny. As a sculptor in grad school, I never wanted to paint, so I'm never going to paint again. Mm-hmm. Silly thing to say. Now what? I said it. <laughs> I, I, I passed through the Museum of Contemporary Art, and there was a Richter show there. Mm-hmm. The big, smeared paintings. And I remember... I walked past through it and I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, Richter. Fucking Richter. I just walked out the other door. On the way back in, I don't know why, it just caught my attention. And I was like, huh. So they were big, the big smear paintings. Yeah. And I walked in there and the guard was staring at it. And I stood next to the guard and I was like, what is this? And I kept getting close and he goes, whoa, whoa, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And I said, wow, it's weird. It's like, it just gets more and more detailed. It's the most high-res thing I've ever seen. Like, could you see the pigment smearing on it? Yeah. You could get a magnifying glass oh, yeah, and still the it, right. see like a variation of, of, you know, shift in color or something like that. Right. And I had my voila moment with Richter mm-hmm. back then. I thought, wow, this guy was a genius. Is this really even painting? I guess it is. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 that stuck with me. I had a dream after that. R- R- Gert Richter showed up and said, hold on to this painting for a while. And he left. I was like left holding one of these small paintings. <laughs> don't lose it don't lose it but I, I took that I, I guess I didn't take it to sign to paint, I didn't paint until later but right yeah I mean I do a lot of stuff with dreams I made sculptures from dreams I made videos from dreams and I made the paintings from dreams dreams are a really important part well if it. you want
0: to be open yeah letting that inform your process is pretty great I guess I
1: think it's just people, a lot of people do you remember your dreams
0: uh, sometimes sometimes I don't sometimes I do
1: uh, I have had a very vivid dream life all my life,
0: see, I've only been. I've I've only had it okay, occasionally. I'll get like a really strong one. Yeah, a lot of times, I'm just that's coming to sometimes. I, I mean, numinous dreams, I yeah. The youngins would call them. Oh, did you see Waking Life?
1: Yeah, I saw it twice when it came out in the movie theater in Columbus. I love that movie. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Well, looking at your paintings,
0: oh, yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Dreams is what got me, kind of propelled me through life. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I said this, you, you know, being a good, having a good heart, and being like a good person can get you pretty far in life. But eventually, you, know, you have to start using your brain.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I don't know where we where are we going with this? Yeah, dreams. I could talk about I, that. I forever.
0: think i I think we covered a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, we did.
1: Although, did we? I guess we did.
0: Maybe we just drew a circle. Tell me, t- tell me about your mother. <laughs> That's where this podcast ends. <laughs> well, um, so people can check. You're on social media. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, it's my, your name and then your name again in a different iteration. Yeah, Clinton King, King Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another Clinton King.
1: There's another Clinton King has a website too. Some thirteen year old RC. There's the soccer player Clinton King and the Western painter Clinton King. That a lot. I can't believe it. But you can get me there on Instagram, Don't give me a studio visit. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. The weekends. Everyone
0: just call him up. His phone number is <laughs> 91. <laughs> uh, well, this was a good way to yeah. meet. Yeah, great. Thank, thanks for taking the time out and yeah. coming over here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thank you for listening to and supporting Sound and Vision.